Welcome to the Landmark Podcast. I'm Jason Calhoun, pastor of Landmark Pentecostal Church in Texarkana, Texas. We encourage you to visit us on the web at landmarkupc.net for a schedule of services and upcoming events. We pray that you are blessed by the message today. Thank you again for listening. Thessalonians chapter number 5, Judges chapter number 16, and I want to begin reading, I'm jumping into the middle of a narrative here, but um, I won't take the time to read it all. We begin with verse 16, and it came to pass when she pressed him daily with her words, And urged him so that his soul was vexed unto death. That he told her all his heart and said unto her, There hath not come a razor upon mine head. For I have been a Nazarite unto God from my mother's womb. If I I be shaven, then my strength will go from me. And I shall become weak and be like any other man. And when Delilah saw that he had told her all his heart, she sent and called for the lords of the Philistines, saying, Come up this once, for he has showed me all his heart. And the lords of the Philistines came up unto her and brought money in their hand. And she made him sleep upon her knees, and she called for a man And she caused him to shave off the seven locks of his head. And she began to afflict him, and his strength went from him. And she said, The Philistines be upon thee, Samson. And he awoke out of his sleep and said, I will go out as at other times before and shake myself. And he went not that the Lord was departed from him. But the Philistines took him, put out his eyes, and brought him down to Gaza, and bound him with fetters of brass, and he did grind in the prison house. Howbeit the hair of his head began to grow again after he was shaven. Let's look at first. Thessalonians chapter number 5, and I want to read just one short verse of Scripture, verse 19. 1 Thessalonians chapter number 5 and verse 19, quench not the Spirit. Could you read that with me? Quench not the Spirit. One more verse of Scripture, Hebrews chapter number 2, Hebrews chapter number 2, a few verses here, starting with verse 1, Therefore we ought to give the more earnest heed to the things which we have heard, lest at any time we should let them slip. For if the word spoken by angels was steadfast, And every transgression and disobedience received a just recompense of reward. 
How shall we escape if we neglect? I want you to notice that word, neglect, so great salvation, which at the first began to be spoken by the Lord and was confirmed unto us by them that heard him. How shall we escape if we neglect so great salvation? And I want to use as a subject here for the next few moments, I want to preach with the Lord's help. I want to preach, don't ignore the warning signs. Don't ignore the warning signs. Those that work in medical health occupations, uh, they have learned over the years to try to do their best what they call preventative care, educating people before a stroke comes, before a heart attack happens. Let's do our very best to educate people on the signs, shortness of breath, and other signs that there may be that a heart attack is imminent. And so we're going to do our best to try to show them what those signs may be, and if we can educate them on them, then when those begin to occur, those warning signs begin to happen. Perhaps they will not ignore them. and They can save themselves heart damage or in a case of a stroke, maybe some uh, debilitating paralysis that would take place as a result of it can be prevented because they were able to acknowledge the warning signs. Well, I think God, through His Spirit, through the power of the Holy Ghost, he gives people warning signs and he begins to deal with people and help people and talk to people's hearts. He uh, prompts people. It may be gentle. It may be something that at first, uh, for some, if they're not real sensitive to it, they may not even see the hand of the Lord in it. They may not recognize it being the Lord, but it's that gentle imprompting of the Spirit of God. I can't speak for you, but I want to be so very sensitive to the Holy Ghost. I want to be sensitive to the Spirit of God. And I want to be able to acknowledge those warning signs. Don't ignore the warning signs. Would you lift up your hands and your voice along with me? And let's pray once again for the touch of the Lord in this place. Jesus, we look to you again. We're praying, God, for your help. We know without you we can absolutely do nothing. We know, God, we depend upon the anointing of the Holy Ghost and the touch of God. And I'm praying, Lord, that you would favor us in this room today. Speak to our hearts, God. Touch our souls. Draw us closer to you. Let us feel your presence so strong and the drawing of your Spirit. We know, God, that no man comes unless your Spirit would first draw them. And I'm praying that you would deal with the hearts of people in this room today. We thank you and praise you for it. In Jesus' name. Come on, let's give praise unto Him. <clears throat> thank you so much for standing and you may be seated. It's not been lost on me how that over the last uh, several weeks, uh, maybe even longer than that, maybe even months, I have felt uh, 
a heaviness, a burden, and uh, you probably have sensed it in the Sunday morning services in particular. There's been a burden on my heart to reach for people. And it's not always been for people that are new or folks that are guests of ours in the church services. I find myself, as odd as it may be, preaching to folks that for one reason or another, because you've been around, because you know church, because you're acquainted with the Spirit of God, I find myself trying to underscore, trying to remind, trying in your mind to italicize certain passages of Scripture from God's Word, trying my very best to highlight some things that in these last days you must be reminded of, that we must keep in focus. We've got to allow them to be a priority if we're going to make it. It's one thing to start out living for God, and it's another thing to be saved. I do believe in salvation in three tenses, and so that you're not confused, I'll explain that. I believe I was saved when I repented of my sins, was baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of those sins, and I received the wonderful gift of the Holy Ghost, and I have been saved and am saved at this moment because I've kept that experience alive. I've stayed renewed in the Holy Ghost. I've endeavored, not always perfectly, but I've endeavored to be faithful to God and stay committed to the Lord. So I am saved. I was saved. I am saved. And if I continue on this path and continue to walk with God and remain faithful to Him, Bible said he's coming back for those that are alive and remain. If I remain uh, in the service of the Lord and the kingdom of God and faithful to him, then I will be saved. So I was saved, I am saved, and I will be saved. That's the faith that I have. That's the desire of my heart. And I trust it's truly the desire of every person in this place. I hope that you're not here this morning for any other reason. I hope that's the motivating force for you being here. I hope you're not here just for fellowship. I hope that you're not here just because you don't want to disappoint somebody else. I hope that you're not here just because of some familial influence that you have in your life, but I hope that you're here because you yourself want to please God and that you have a desire to be saved. I really don't think you can be saved any other way. Those may be motivating factors for bringing you into the church initially, but they will not keep you living for God. Amen. You've got to fall in love for God, with God for yourself. My Bible says, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. This is serious business that we're involved in this morning. And everybody has a responsibility of being sensitive to the Spirit of God that deals with them and answering to that Spirit that calls them. And so I feel like the Holy Ghost is going to call someone here today. 
The Bible in this text, and I didn't read nearly all of it, this is a lengthy story that is familiar with most of us from the book of Judges. It tells us about this little family from Zorah, a man by the name of Manoah, whose wife was barren. And there was a desire in her heart to have a child. It was natural, and it still is natural for every woman to want to have a child, I suppose. But you understand the customs of that day. It was really uh, a situation where uh, progenity was something that was not only important, but for the furtherance of a family and the name, it was vitally important. And so they desired to have not only a child, but they wanted to have a man-child. And they began to seek after the Lord, and the Lord appeared unto Manoah's wife and began to tell her through an angel, a messenger of God, that she would have a son. But the hand of God from the womb would be upon this boy. He would be no average boy. He would have special consecrations that not only he would have to adhere to, but from that point on she would adhere to also. And she would consecrate herself and commit herself to these things. And as a result, God would bless her child when he was born. And Samson was born, and this young man would be the 13th judge that God would raise up in Israel. Now, when we think about a judge, we think about them presiding over uh, laws and, and maybe over a certain district or circuit or area of the court. And uh, that is not particularly what these were in biblical times. They did some of that, but there was more to it than just that. They were also deliverers, and they were people that led Israel. Israel at this time did not have a king, so they were a spiritual influence and leader for Israel during these days. And there was the hand of God and the favor of God that rested upon Samson, along with these other judges that you read about throughout this Old Testament book. And they were used at specific times and anointed for a specific purpose. All of them a little bit different. All of them maybe at a little bit different time, period, and face perhaps even a little bit different enemy and challenge that others faced. But nevertheless, all of them possessed the favor and the hand of God upon their life. And Samson was no different. Even from an early tender age, just a little boy, this is what perhaps made him a little bit different than the others. He noted the hand of God. And he knew that he was different. He knew the favor of the Lord was there. Can I just take just a few moments and share with you the importance of that? And how special that really is to have the hand of God upon your life. Uh, to have the touch of God. To be able to feel the anointing of the Lord. That's not something to be taken lightly. That's not something that we're to be dismissive of. That's not something that just happens. Or just 
takes place. But to have the hand of the Lord upon your life, to have the touch of God upon your life, if you've ever felt His favor, if you've ever experienced His anointing, if you've ever been in His presence, if you've ever been visited by the presence of God in a special way, then you know what I'm talking about. That is a sacred thing. That is a special thing. That is something that we ought to hold dear. That is something that we need to value. That is something that we need to protect, if I could say it so strongly. To have the anointing of the Holy Ghost, I don't want just to trample over that. I don't want to take that as just something that is owed to me because it isn't. I don't want to feel like that that it just happens everywhere because it doesn't. I have been in churches after church, and I have preached across this land in different locales and under different circumstances. And I can tell you that the anointing of the Holy Ghost is something that we should always be thankful for. The touch of God and the favor of God and the manifest presence of the Lord is something that needs to be put at a high value in our lives. Amen. What you feel here regularly, the anointing of the Holy Ghost, that power of God that is able to deliver people from sin, that is able to change people's lives, that is able to alter uh, people's eternal destiny, that is something that we need to know and understand that is sacred. And we need to protect it. And we need to do our best to reverence it. The Bible tells me that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And you've heard me say many times this is not necessarily fear as we understand it. But the fear of the Lord, the reverence and the respect that should be due. The presence of the Lord. That's why we have little customs and little things that we uphold here in this church because we understand the sacredness of it. What are you saying? I'm saying this sanctuary, what, what we do in here and how we behave in here because we know this is where the Lord meets with us. This is where the Lord moves upon us and blesses us. And this is where His presence many times is found as we begin to worship God. And, and that's why uh, we, we behave respectfully when we're in the house of God. Or we need to. That's why we teach our children to respect the house of God. When I was a child, it was not something that was common for children just to, to run up on the platform or to even get on the platform unless they were invited to do so because there was a respect for the house of God. We need to get back to those days. We need to understand the importance of that. That there is something sacred. This is not a place where we come in and we play games and we just go through the motions and, and we just come and, and uh, we, we put our time in like we're punching a clock. But we come here to have a rendezvous with God. We come here to be in the presence of the Lord. 
We come here to lift Him up and to worship Him. We come to have the Word of God planted deeply within our heart. We come here to receive something from the Spirit of God. And what happens here and the interaction that happens here between us and God is something that we need to keep at a high premium. It's something that needs to be protected. It's something that needs to be cared for. It's something that we need to understand is priceless. You cannot really... uh, put an appraisal on that you cannot you cannot really put a price or or a value Uh, you cannot affix a value to it it's something that is special it's something that is sacred this is the presence of God and there was a reason why this was upon the life of Samson it was because of consecrations that he had made. There was a reason why he had the anointing that he possessed. It was because of some vows that he had taken and commitments that he had made unto God. And the deal was, as long as you keep those commitments, as long as you retain those values, you can continue to have supernatural power and strength. No enemy will be able to ever encroach upon you or for that matter Israel that you will not be able to overcome and deliver them if you can keep that anointing and favor of God through your consecration upon your life. I just want to preach to us this morning. I'm going to tell you it's not by coincidence that any people or any person has an anointing upon their life. If they have an anointing, it's because they have consecration. It's because they are committed. Because they have put themselves uh, uh, into a place of consecration and the lifestyle and living their life and keeping themselves unto the Lord. That's the reason why they, they have the consecration. It's because of their purity that they have power. It's because uh, of the walk with God. Amen. You say, well, what about grace? And what about God's mercy? I I understand that. But you also must understand that grace is an enabler to do what God's Word calls for us to do. And for all of the folks that say, well, we don't live under the law, we live under grace. Well, grace, if you understand it, and if you know anything about your Bible, grace always calls you to higher performance, not lesser performance. Grace always calls you to reach for higher commitment, not lesser commitment. Amen. Laws are with the bare minimum. This is where the line is. Amen. Grace gives you the empowerment through the Spirit and the help of God to be an achiever and to be an overcomer. So before you debate those things, you may ought to read your Bible. Praise God. Amen. Before you become a provocator, maybe you ought to read your Bible. Praise the Lord. I'm so sick of people that don't know anything about the Bible trying to undermine and come along and try to undo something that we've spent our lifetime studying and that we know because of revelation from the Scripture. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. And that does make me a little upset. 
Praise God. I'm telling you it's important uh, that you understand where the power and the anointing comes from. There has to be consecration. God doesn't pass it out to the impure. He doesn't just give it to people that live their life any old way. Amen. Because they're willing uh, to walk a narrow road. Because they're willing to restrain themselves from certain practices. Uh, because they're not willing uh, to just give themselves every temptation and spirit that comes along. Amen. God blesses and God anoints and God lays his hand of favor upon them. Amen. I'll get your lap this morning if I need to. Amen. But I'm going to preach the word of the Lord because he put it in my heart and I'm going to preach it the way that he put it in my heart. Praise God. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Praise the name of the Lord. And so he felt the power of God. And when the need would arise, there was strength, indescribable strength that would come upon this man. When enemies would rise up, he was able to go out and the anointing of the Lord would come upon him in a profound way. And he was able to slay the enemies of Israel. And uh, this was a special thing. And I'm sure it was exhilarating. I'm sure that in some way uh, there, was, there was a feeling of vic- victory and a feeling of, uh, of overcoming that, that uh, would rise in his heart. And uh, that, that he would feel and identify, hey, this is the hand of the Lord. But you know anything that you experience regularly, and especially things that you're raised with and raised around, and and uh, maybe maybe you've been reared in a situation where where the presence and the power of God is regular, and and it happens, and it's there, and and you've experienced it many many times. Uh, you've got to be you got to be careful that you don't like Samson did become so familiar with it that its value to you is not appreciated anymore. He had spent so much time being used of God. He'd been in a godly family, a godly home, godly parents, around godly influences, and and it, it becomes something that he almost loathed. It was it was something that he failed to appreciate as he needed to, or as he should. It appears, even as a young man, with this hand of God upon him, and the touch of God in his life, that he is always trying the fences. He's always pressing the edge of the envelope. Always trying to find out where the borders are. Never really truly appreciating the blessing of having godly influences in his life. Parents that were consecrated. Uh, being used of God and feeling the presence of the Lord. You see the parallels with this generation. We're dealing with, with people that have been raised around and in the church. They have been accustomed to the power of God and the Spirit of God moving and working in their midst on a regular basis. 
And uh, just like Samson, maybe maybe he wondered, wondered what it would be like to, to live like the Philistines. He must have thought that because when he went looking for a wife, he didn't go among God's people to find her, but he went among the Philistines to find her. So there must have been acquaintances, there must have been ties, there must have been friends, there must have been an inordinate amount of fellowship that was going on between him and the Philistines. And we see the signs that he's always trying to press the edge. Matter of fact, the Bible tells us that while he was in the vineyard of Timnath, that a lion roared against him, but And God gave him the strength to overcome the lion. But the question remains why he was ever in the vineyard to begin with. Because a part of his Nazarite vow was is that he would never drink of the grape or the wine or the vineyard. And and so for him to be in a vineyard in the first place, uh, there was was something about that that stands out to me in the story is why he was there in the first place. And then the lion he encountered. He would have never had to deal with the challenge of the lion had he not been in the vineyard. I'm going to tell you, you could save yourself a lot of trouble if you stay where you're supposed to stay and run with who you're supposed to run with. Fellowship with who you're supposed to fellowship with. Amen. Make, make contact and relationships that are deep and meaningful. Does that mean you've got to be a recluse and a hermit? No, I'm not saying that. You've heard me preach about that many times, that we are to engage people in the world to get them into the church. But when you see them influencing you, you've got a problem. Amen. And somewhere along the way, you've got to think about it from the perspective, I'm not going to be able to help them if I'm in a weakened condition. I'm not going to be able to be a blessing to their lives if I'm not living like I should live. If I'm compromising my values and my convictions and and I'm going along with their program instead of standing up for God and being a child of God. It's amazing to me how weak and how much people want the acceptance of the world. Hey, you're a child of God. Why do you want that anyway? Amen. Why do you want to be identified with that anyway? We're children of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. I don't need nobody else's approval. I don't need anybody else, amen, to pat me on the back. Hallelujah. Praise God. I want Him to approve of me. I want His blessing and His favor. Hey, you've got so much more Samson than what the world has to offer. They only wish they had the power that you have. They only wish they could experience God the way you do. They only wish they had the strength that you have. But he didn't appreciate it. And then when he slew the lion, the scripture says, scripture says that after a period of time, he went back and he saw that there was bees that had made a honeycomb in that lion's carcass. And he stole the honey out of the carcass of the lion. Another clue. Another clue that he's violated convictions. He's went back on his vows because the vow of the Nazarite was is that he has never, you thought it was just about him never cutting his hair. That's not all there was to it. Oh, no. He, he, he's, he, he touches the dead carcass of the lion and as a result takes the, 
honey out? Does God forbid him strength? Does God take away his anointing immediately? Oh, no. It doesn't happen like that. But these are warning signs. These are clues to something is not right, that something is going on. And then he begins to desire a wife of the Philistines. And I'm sure it was to the chagrin of his parents that he decided to do this. And while they're preparing for this marriage to take place, a group of the Philistine bachelors are there and in the midst of a party. And uh, so he, he shares a riddle with them. And when he shares this riddle with them, it's about this experience that he had with the lion in Timnath. And he said, out of the eater come forth honey. And, uh, and so he, he's telling them this little riddle. And, and if you could figure this riddle out in these days leading up to the marriage, if you can figure it out, if you can come to an answer, then I will give you 30 changes of clothes. Now, I know that doesn't sound like, man, well, maybe it is a lot, but, but uh, it doesn't sound like a big, big deal for us. But you've got to understand, in Bible times, a lot of times a person in his adult life or her adult life only had one change of clothing. It wasn't like Neiman Marcus when you opened up the closet in those days. It, it wasn't like that they had several changes of clothes and according to their mood, that's the way they dressed. It wasn't like that in biblical times, but rather... It was uh, one set of clothes. didn't matter how you felt that day. You just had to wear that one set of clothes. And so uh, springtime, summertime, wintertime, there was just one set of clothes that people normally wore. Of course, they had an outer coat or garment, and that was that coat that they could be identified with. And usually they only had one of those. And that's why the law said if, if you was to take that coat as collateral for payment, that that you had to give it back by nightfall because you couldn't allow a man in that climate in the desert where it got cold at night, you couldn't allow him to be through the night without that cloak to wrap up in and protect himself from the elements. It was the law. You had to give it back. You could hold it for only a certain period of time as collateral. And so uh, you understand that garments were important. And so he, he, he goes out. Uh, after they come back and, and he gives them this riddle and, and shares this with them. And, and of course, uh, uh, the deal was is that they were going to have to pay him and they were going to have to give to him. And so uh, they understood that this was a payment that they could not, they could not possibly, uh, this was a wager that they could not fulfill in any way. And so they pressed upon his soon-to-be wife. They said, uh, uh, tell us. Ask him. He loves you. He's infatuated with you. Tell us. Uh, have him tell us what uh, this riddle is or the answer to this riddle. And he'll tell you if he'll tell nobody else. And so the Bible says that she began to weep and she began to sob. And, and she began to try her very best to convince him. And finally, because of her continuous weeping... He shares with her the answer. And immediately she goes and tells. And uh, when they come and, and tell him what they know and, and they share with him the answer, he knows that, that someone's given him up. He knows that someone has, uh, has bewitched him in this situation. 
He goes out while he's getting the 30 garments, 30 changes of garments. His wife, uh, his to-be father-in-law, gives her to a companion and gives her away to somebody else. And she's married to someone else. And so when he returns, the deal is off. She's married his friend. And he's upset about this. This is another clue. I'm telling you, you have to be careful how you deal with the offenses of life. How you deal with the setbacks of life. The hurts of life. The things that you didn't really ask for and that you, 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 you wonder why they happened. You know, I was endeavoring to live for God. I was endeavoring to do my best and, and it seems like this happened and I wasn't expecting this turn in the road and I wasn't expecting this to take place. But I'm telling you, friend, uh, it's important uh, that you keep your eyes on Him and your focus upon Him. Keep your mind fixed on the things uh, of God and say you know what it rains upon the just and the unjust bad things happen to everybody amen bad things even happen to good people but the difference is is that I have a God that is going to walk with me through the troubles he's going to be there with me through the trial he's going to see me through the problems that I have in life Oh, praise the Lord. Hallelujah. And so uh, I'm sure there's this cauldron of bitterness uh, that is welling up within him. I'm, I'm going to tell you something. Uh, a lot of times if we don't deal with bitterness and get it under the blood of Jesus, uh, it'll show up sometimes even years later. Uh, events that happen in people's childhood. Things that they never really got prayed through over. Things that they never really got under the blood of Jesus. They never really got victory in that area of their life. Uh, amen. You take somebody that, that has been hurt hurt and they've been wounded in a certain area then it affects their trust and it affects their confidence and it's a sad thing amen and and they begin to turn on the people that love them the most i feel i'm in the holy ghost this morning i want to tell somebody today amen it's time to put it under the blood today Today, it's time to deal with that situation in your life. Don't let the devil cause it to be a conflict that exists for decades and years and years and years and you never get victory over it. You never overcome it. You're never able to really experience the joy of the Lord. Why? Because you're unwilling to release it at an altar and let the blood of Jesus help you to conquer it and to overcome it. I don't care how bad it was. Nothing's worth being lost over. Nothing's worth going to hell over. Again, I say, work out your own salvation. You can't always respond, amen, to what they're going to do. You can't always second guess what's going to happen with that person. You can't always sit back and say, well, what about them? Hey, who cares? Amen, if you can get through it, you need to get through it. If you can pray over it, you need to pray through over it. If you can get victory, you need to get victory. 
That's affecting your worship. It's hindered your prayer life. It's hindered your ability to get free in the presence of God. That's why people can come down to an altar, really be moved on, and by the time a 24-hour period has lapsed, they're right back where they were because they really didn't get that bitterness under the blood. They really didn't get that spirit of offense under the blood. Amen. Let's get to the source. Let's get to the root of the problem. Let's quit chopping on limbs. Let's get down where the rubber meets the road. You need some victory today. I said you need some victory and it's on you. You're going to have to forgive. You're going to have to be the initiator. You're going to have to be the one that said, I'm bigger than this. I want to be saved. Amen. Amen. Can I just be, give a personal example so that you don't think I'm being pious up here and preaching to you something I haven't had to live? I had a man at one particular point in my life early on in the ministry that I felt had wronged me. And I had I'd really I'd had feelings about it. I mean, there was no way around it. I'm just admitting I had feelings about it. And I didn't realize how deep-seated those feelings were. And sometimes you don't until you spend some time in the presence of the Lord. And so I was in a period of consecration. I'm not bragging, but there's several days there. Actually, a little over a week before this really surfaced. And I said, you know what? I didn't even realize that was that deep-rooted. Didn't even realize that was there to this degree. But I can see now it's going to hinder my progress if I don't take care of it. Back in those days, we didn't have cell phones. We had pay phones. And so I got me a pocket full of quarters. I got that man's number. I said, as long as this takes, I'm going to get this dealt with. And you know what? He was shocked that there was even any problem there. And it was just that easy. God made it just that easy. That thing that's built up in your mind is some big deal that you can't get over. It's not nearly as big as you think it is. That's the way the devil tries to blow it up in your mind. It's not nearly that big. All it takes is somebody saying, I'm sorry. All it takes is somebody saying, please forgive me. Oh, sometimes that's the hardest words for anyone to say. Those are the most challenging and difficult things for people uh, to come to because you say it was them that was wrong. And perhaps you're right. But you could be right about that and still go to hell. You know that, don't you? You could go to hell feeling justified in your spirit. You could spend an eternity in a lake of fire for an offense that somebody else committed against you that you was unwilling to forgive. And I'm asking you, would it be worth it, Samson? I think it's time that you deal with this because it's going to lead to the stripping of your anointing. It's going to lead to you not having the power against the enemy that you need. And there's bigger challenges ahead than what you're dealing with in your spirit now. And if you don't deal with it now, amen, when are you going to deal with it? I tell you what's going to happen. It's going to deal with you if you don't deal with it. It's going to rob you of so many prayers being answered. It's going to rob you of so much joy. I don't know why I'm on this, but I just feel like I've just hit the place where I need to be right here this morning. You need to deal with it. I'm going to tell you, hell 
tries to occupy in places where offenses have happened. Hell tries to take territory where there's somebody that's allowed bitterness to come in. Well, this was wrong. That's not right. That's against the Word of God. Well, maybe it is. But you cannot always make decisions and choices and right wrongs of others, but you can take care of yourself. You can deal with it yourself. You should have dealt with it. You should have dealt with it, Samson. Can you imagine? Goes away for a little while. Comes back, his friend, or supposedly his friend, is now with his wife. And his father-in-law's only explanation is, I thought you would hate her because she gave you up on this riddle. His father's only explanation was, well, uh, you know, maybe we could remedy this. I'll give you my younger daughter. Well, I'm not in love with the other sister. I didn't commit myself to that. I wanted to marry her. And so you can imagine the feeling that was there. And you see what I'm talking about? It's like a little bit at a time. It's like, it's like the bull that's in the ring with the bullfighter. And, and a little bit at a time, he's weakening. And he's taking this man down. And he's unable to realize it, unable to see it. So what does he do? Does he say, you know, I've learned my lesson with these Philistines. I think I'll, I think I'll go over here and I'll, I'll begin to get interested in the Israelite girls like I should have in the first place. Oh, no. Hurt makes you do crazy things. Dumb things. Hurtful to yourself things. He tramples right over the warning signs. And he goes out. And he finds himself with a harlot in Gaza. They said, hey, he's in the city. We've always wanted to get him captive. Close the gate of the city while he's in there. And when he comes out and realizes what they've done, they've tried to trap him. He takes the city gates up off their hinges and carries them. Not just a little ways, not a block, but up a hill. He carries them away from the city. God is still with you, Samson. God in his mercy is still dealing with you. God in his mercy is still saying, come on. Come on, there's still time. There's still opportunity. You can get this right. Don't ignore the warning signs, Samson. And that's not where it stops. He goes back down to the Philistines and he finds a lady by the name of Delilah and he falls for her. And immediately the Philistines begin to work through her, find out where the source of his strength is. And so the Bible says that he pressed or she pressed him daily with her words. Does that sound familiar? Isn't that exactly what the other Philistine lady did? Is that she begged and pleaded and kept on until she got an answer to the riddle? 
I want to tell you, when you fall to one temptation, the devil notes that. He marks that. He says right there, that's the weakness. That's where I can, that's, that's the area of their life that I can come back and attack. You know what that revealed to, to the enemy? It revealed that Samson's weak spot is, is if you press and if you continue to tempt and if you continue day after day to bombard him, finally he'll weaken down and finally he'll relent and finally he'll give in and finally he'll submit you have to just stay with it where it comes he may say no the first time and he may say no the second time but if you just stay with it he'll finally relent and the devil took note of that I'm going to tell you whatever area of your life that you've succumbed to the enemy in in the past that's an area of your life you better keep drenched in prayer you better stay consecrated in it you better fast and pray and seek God and never let up in that particular area of your life. If he's tried to tell you in times past that certain things are unimportant and it's not really all that that all that big of a deal that you that you submit yourself in that area, you need to take note of that. You need to realize, devil, you're trying to get my anointing. You're trying to take away my strength. I'm not going to allow you to take the favor and the hand of God off my life. Amen. I've been blessed. The goodness of the Lord and the mercies of the Lord has been there. I'm not going to allow you to do that to me. Don't ignore the warning signs. And so she starts in. Oh, Samson, tell me. And he's playing games with her. He knows what she's really wanting him to say. He said, well, notice what he says. He said, if you take seven green worths, tie me up with them, that have never been dried. He said, I'll be as weak as another man. And so she goes and does exactly what he says. And Samson, the Philistines are upon you. He snaps out of it. Shakes himself a little bit. Feels that same power and that same anointing. I'm all right. I got it. Come on, Samson. Don't you realize what's going on here? And he goes right back to Delilah's house. You keep toying with that. You keep fooling around with that. You keep messing with that. You keep on rolling that around in your mind. You, you keep on questioning that. You keep on messing with that. That's going to be your Achilles. He goes back. Samson, you, you must not love me or you would tell me. Well, I'll, I'll tell you what. If you get some new ropes, tie me up. I'll be as weak as any other man. Happens. She ties him up while he's asleep. Samson! Philistines are upon you. Burst out of them new ropes. Slays the Philistines. Puts them on the run again. He feels the power of God. He shakes himself. Said it's still here. 
still got it. Kind of like the person that goes out and experiments a little bit in the world and dabbles in the world and they come back. I can still feel him. I'm still a Christian. I still got it. I, I still I still feel the power of God and the grace of God and the touch of God. Oh, Samson. What that is, is God's mercy trying to give you another chance, trying to wake you up, trying to help you to realize, oh, on your way out, God's reaching for you. On your way out, God is still tugging for your heart. God is trying to find something, trying to put a hook in your jaw to reel you back in and and get you out of that danger zone that you're living in. Don't attribute that to yourself. You better attribute that to the mercies of God. Maybe it's like the person that feels like, well, you know, I, I don't really see it necessary to come to church all the time. I mean, you know, I, I'm, I'm strong enough. I can handle it just part time. Well, that sounds real good, but it isn't b- biblical. Because the Bible says so much the more as you see the day approaching. I notice it's getting quieter in here, but that's all right because I'm fixing to tighten this vice down a whole lot more than it is right now. It doesn't bother me in the least. You can sit there. You can say, oh, hum, you can roll your eyes, and you can dismiss me all you want to. But there's some of you in this place this morning, you're in jeopardy. Your soul is in jeopardy, and you need to shake yourself and realize, I need the touch of God. I need the anointing of the Holy Ghost. I need God to renew and refresh me again. Come on, if you want to play tiddlywinks and you want to just come and get you a feel-good song and a three-point sermon, you're going to have to look and find that somewhere else. Amen. And I'm sure there's a whole lot of folks that would be happy to accommodate that. But we're going to be an apostolic church here with apostolic anointing and with apostolic power. And that's what we need more than we need anything else in this hour. That's what sets the sinner free. That's what gets people off of drugs. That's what changes people's life. That's what changes individuals. She pressed him daily with her words. Samson, you must not really care for me like you say you do. Please tell me. Well, weave my hair together in seven locks. Then, you'll understand, I'll be just as weak as anybody else. And so, it happens again. Samson, the Philistines are upon you. It's still here. I still feel it. Finally, after days pressing upon him with her words and urged him so that his soul was vexed unto death. She was making him miserable. But the devil knew if you stay after Samson, you can get him. If you just don't relent, you can get him. And so he says all that's in his heart. He just tells her everything about the consecration and the vow. He lays it all out there. And she knows something's different 
because she calls ahead of time for the Philistine and said, bring the money. I got it. I got it this time. And they cut his hair off. She calls for a man to cut his hair off. And when Samson is awakened this time at the cries of Delilah, he notes something is different. He shakes himself. But suddenly he doesn't feel the strength. He doesn't feel the power. When he goes to strike a blow against the Philistine enemy, nothing happens out of the ordinary. What's going on? The Bible said he winced not that the Spirit was departed from him. But I'm going to tell you, there's warning signs. After warning signs, seven green words. Uh, uh, new ropes. Uh, braid my hair. All of these were warning signs. Come on, Samson, wake up. Realize what's going on. You, you surely are not that dense to realize that the enemy is on your trail. You, you know from experience what happens when you do this, that the devil is relentless. And I'm going to tell you, folks, that he is relentless in his attack and his, his pursuit of trying to bring people down. But there is a power of God and a shield and a protection that comes from the Spirit of the Lord that if we keep our consecration right and we walk with God and we pray and have faith in Him, He's able to keep us. He's able to watch over us. He's able, amen, to save us. Would you pray with me right now? Come on, pray sincerely. Let's pray with our whole heart. Warning signs. Lights are flashing. Sirens are blaring spiritually. And people just run through it. They take no caution. They're not aware. They're not sensitive to what's going on. And so they capture him. I wish I could properly convey the burden of my heart this morning. They pluck out his eyes. He stumbles around like a buffoon. And that's what they want him to be as a clown that they can mock. Is this the once the mighty Samson? Is this the person that was so greatly used of God? Is this the one that had such a powerful anointing? I look at churches that used to be so stalwart, powerful, anointed, hallmark churches. I mean, they set the precedence of what a powerful church was. 
But the relentlessness of the enemy encroached upon them a little bit at a time until they threw out their consecration. And now the devil mocks. Now the devil makes fun. That's not what I want. And that's not what I desire. But some way, somehow, God help me to realize what's happening here. And, and be stirred in my spirit. And be moved on in the Holy Ghost. To realize. And to say yes and yield to conviction. Doing the work that an ox ought to do. Grinding in the prison. Shackled in brass chains and shackles. Eyes plucked out. And there's a big festival of the Philistines that is going on. And somebody says, you know, where's that guy that used to wreak havoc in, in, in our land? That used to be so strong and powerful, but now they plucked his eyes out. He's like a, like a tamed animal in a prison house. And we've got control over him. Where's he at anyway? Let's bring him out and make sport of him. Let's mock him. They brought him out. He stumbles by the lead of a little child. And he can hear the cheering. He can hear the mockery and the laughter. The insults. Of that group of people that stood in that temple. Mocking and making fun. Jeering him. And he says to that lad, lead me to the pillars whereupon the house stands. And he's feeling around. And he finally feels those pillars. And it's been a long time since he had prayed like this. But he's been for the last several days, however how long it had been that he'd been in that prison, he's been, he's been thinking and mulling it over, repenting. He didn't know if it was a prayer that would for sure be honored, but he did know that God was a merciful God. And he said, Lord, remember me. This is the man that used to be used of you. This is the man that was once so anointed. This is the one that used to feel your glory. That used to spend time in your presence. Can I get it down to where we're living? This is the one that used to church meant everything. Walking with God and... And this life meant everything. Pleasing you was the only thing that mattered to me. That's before I had anything. That was before I'd been blessed to the point that I am now. That was before I had two nickels to rub together. When I just had you, God. Do you remember? God's been taking me on that personal journey. Because I remember what it was like. Little churches... Praying, God, if you'll open the door, I'll go. No matter where it is. 
And today, I'm saying to God, I still mean that. I'll do whatever you want me to do. Amen. Because I realize that's the only way for me to keep the touch of God and the anointing of the Holy Ghost. Amen. I'll stand for you. I'll live for you. I'll serve you because I need and I must have your blessing and your touch and your favor upon my life. He said, Lord, remember me. I'm the man that was once used mightily to deliver Israel. And I pray thee, strengthen me, I pray thee. Strengthen me, I pray thee. Only this once. I'm not asking for anything more. I'm not asking that you spare my life. But I'm asking you to strengthen me this one more time. Give me one more chance to rectify this situation. Give me one more chance to get this right with you. That's all I'm praying for. That's all I'm believing for. And when he pressed his hands against those pillars, he felt a movement. He felt a strength come upon him that he hadn't felt in a long time. And if you'd open up your heart today, you're going to feel conviction. You're going to feel the touch of God. You're going to feel the tug of the Holy Ghost that perhaps you haven't felt in a long time. I was preaching revival many years ago. In place, and I'll never forget the message that I preached that morning. Heavy, heavy presence of God and tug of conviction. Used to be something that folks was a little bit more familiar with. People were crying out and travailing. You could hear it almost like a well going up across that sanctuary that morning. There was one boy sitting on the back pew right over here to my left that I was reaching for, and I knew I was reaching for him. I knew he didn't have long. I can't tell you what told me that other than it was just a God thing. I can't describe it in other words, but I was pulling for him. And I'll never forget the title of the message that morning is When Chance Demands Choice. Every opportunity that God gives comes with a choice that has to be made. And it's us that has to respond. God doesn't twist anybody's arm, force them down to the altar, doesn't make anybody live for Him, but that chance, that opportunity, there's a choice that is placed upon us at that point. That only we can make. Nobody else, as much as they want us to live for God, as much as they love our soul, and as much as they want to see us say, Mom or Dad or brother or sister, or maybe there's none of them here. Maybe it's just another brother and sister in the church that really does love and care and want to see them say, They can't make that choice. The preacher that's burdened behind the pulpit, he can't make that choice. I felt it. I don't do this a whole lot because, again, I realize it's the person's choice. But I went back to where he was. He didn't come to the altar. 
most everybody else in the building had. And he was sitting there with his head down. I went and put my hand over his back. I said, son, and I called him by name. I said, God gave me this message for you. He pinpointed you this morning. This is like a guided missile, as it were, targeted for your heart and soul. God is trying to reach you. Would you please come to the altar and pray? And he just sat there. And I, I, like I said, I don't normally do this. But I said, I feel it strong, son. Would you come to the altar? And we were scheduled. It was Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, revival. And that was Sunday morning. He said, I can't come tonight, preacher, but I will be back this week in revival. I fully intend in returning. Come on, Samson. Warning signs. Warning signs. Monday night, he wasn't there. Tuesday in the afternoon, I was praying in the church, and they came in. They said, please come. The pastor's calling for you. I want you to come. And that young man lived just a few blocks from the church, almost like a rock's throw from the church. With his parents, he lived there. And they said that he's overdosed on drugs. And he was lying there in his bed. And before he went in his room that afternoon, he told his father, he said, here after a while, I'm going to get ready and go to church tonight. They're having revival. I'll never forget the terror of that mother when we walked into the emergency room and they gave him his, they pronounced him dead and told her that there was no hope. I'll never forget. She fell at our feet. And she said, please, I know they say he's dead and there's no hope, but would you please go in there and pray? And I walked into that room and his eyes were open. They had been working on him and all the equipment was laying off to the side. His color was ashen. He was already gone. And all I could think about was less than 48 hours ago. I'm coming back, preacher. I'm coming back. I'll be here. Just not right now. Just just not today. I can't do it right now. I, I'm going to put it off. But I know if I can just shake myself like other times. And I can feel this old feeling again. I can, I can get back here again. I mean, I've felt it every time I've ever come to this church. I've felt the power of God. I've felt the tug of the Holy Ghost. It's just here. Yeah, it's here. But will it be here for you next time? Will it be here for you? The most terrifying thing is to have somebody, and it's happened right here in this altar. I've laid my hands on a man's head and him pleading with me, pray for me. Pray for me. 
I can't feel God. I can't feel the touch of God. I'm telling you, it's a terrifying thing. Was it me that stripped that away? No, I don't have that power. Is it, is it me? Hey, I'll tell you what it was. He tripped through so many of the warning signs. He just kept walking over so many of the warning signs, so many of the signals. The sirens were blaring and the lights were flashing. And he said, I got my life to live and I'm going to do my thing. And now there's, there's, there's no feeling there. There's no, there's no urgency there to live for God. Would you stand with me? Somebody lift up your hands and your voices to the Lord.